So here we are, day two. <laughs> Anybody counting? <laughs> Maybe a few people. <laughs> How's the sound? Is this okay? Is this coming through? It could be a little louder. Yeah, just a touch louder. Yeah, then I won't have to strain. This, is, this sounds a little better, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. You might be feeling a little bit more settled after yesterday. The first day, as James was saying, you know, can definitely be a bit of a struggle. No matter how many times you've sat retreats, you know, it's just still adjusting to the uh, schedule and the long sittings and uh, the tiredness and the different uh, mind states that arise for us on the first day. And the second day, usually people start to settle in a little bit more. Does anybody feel more settled today than they did yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, about half of you. Yeah. Yeah, you really notice that, um, you know, just getting over all the little adjustments that you have to make, particularly if you haven't even been to Spirit Rock before. And as I think I said on the first night, almost half of the people here are at Spirit Rock for the first time. So um, actually that makes us very happy as well that you've come and joined us. So yeah, just kind of getting used to being here and you know what it's like to be on retreat, people who haven't been on retreat before, residential retreat before, you know, all getting used to what, what is this? What are we doing here? How, 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 how do you meditate? What's this about? And then you start to settle in because in some ways you find out that it isn't, we're not expecting that much from you, you know? We, we sometimes have a, a more expectations on ourselves, but then you keep hearing from us that it actually doesn't matter at all what's going on, you know? It's okay, whatever's happening, just to see if you can be present for it. And that's really the message that we give you again and again and again. It doesn't matter what the conditions are of the mind or the body or the heart, the feeling, the emotions. Can you be here for it? Can you be present? And so we start to get more and more of a sense of that. Yeah, I just need to be here. I just need to be here for my experience. I need to be here for myself, you know, for, so, so that I can be connected to myself. Because as we've mentioned, this is where life is happening. Life is happening here, now. Only here and only now. It's not happening anywhere else for you. But right here and right now. So this is the moment that we give attention to. And then this moment. And then this moment. And then this moment. And as we... We see when we pay attention, that's always changing. So because it's always changing, it keeps us on our toes. You know, we can't really get too comfortable or too relaxed because, you know, we don't know what's going to be coming next. And in some ways, the more present we are, the more prepared we are, the more we can receive, the more we can meet that next experience. So we're really, um, in the practice, we're inviting you to fully enter into your experience, no matter what. Just to fully enter in, that means fully be here, 
for whatever is occurring. And we, we start with bringing our attention to different aspects of our experience. And we began working primarily with our breathing first day, you know, as a way to help us uh, gather our mind, gather our attention more in this present moment, because we could see how scattered the mind can be, particularly when we come in from the outside, from our daily lives. The mind is going here and there and wandering here and going to this event and this memory and that plan and this wanting and this desire and that. And it's so we're, we're bringing the mind home. We have to first bring the mind home before we can begin to see and know our experience more directly. So we begin with uh, one primary object, the breath, as a way to begin gathering, collecting, accumulating that energy and that attention here, here, in this moment, arriving, arriving here. And then we, we opened up as well this morning when James gave the instructions, we began to open up the awareness to include different aspects of our experience. James guided us more into the body sensations, what was happening through the different subtle uh, changes and shifts energetically uh, that happened through the vibrations and the aching and the itching and the energy and the tightness and the density and all the different ways that this body begins to uh, take shape, take form. And we, we also bring our attention to that when those sensations call our attention. And then expanding out to even the sounds, the hearing, allowing that, the flow of the sounds, and, and the um, sound of silence. This is, I love this, this phrase, the sound of silence. Because silence has a sound. Have you, have you noticed? <laughs> and the, the silence can actually be a whole orchestra of sounds. <laughs> That, that plays in the silence from, from very strong sounds to more subtle sounds to almost, almost imperceptible, almost the absence, which, which we call silence, but actually si- when we really start to enter into the silence, that whole concept begins to expand. You know, what is that? What's that feel like when we really enter into the silence? So we start to explore this aspect of our experience, different aspects of our experience, entering in fully, going in fully, which sometimes we call into the stream, into the stream of our experience. It's a very um, well-known metaphor that we use in the Dharma uh, tradition of entering the stream, so, because otherwise there can be such a sense of uh, self and other, or self and objects, this and that, and it can all fe- feel like there's a lot of entities and things, and it, we kind of bump into things and bump into people and bump into ourselves and our own mind and our, you know, own, ex- and it's like, and it starts to open up in a way that it's much more flowing. It's just a, it's more of a process or patterns that are unfolding, and it's kind of a stream, a stream entry. It reminds me of, um, of a story that I like, I like very much. <clears throat> um, it goes like this. 
It is said a great Zen teacher asked an initiate to sit by a stream until he heard all the water had to teach. After days of bending his mind around the scene, a small monkey happened by and in one seeming bound of joy splashed about in the stream. The initiate wept and returned to his teacher who scolded him lovingly and said, the monkey heard, you just listened. So why did the initiate weep when he went back to sit by his teacher? What happened? Because he realized that as much as he was sitting by the side of the stream trying to understand what the water had to teach, he couldn't do it with his mind. He couldn't do it just by sitting by the side of the stream. He had to jump in, jump into the water, jump into the stream. Then he could really know what the water had to teach. And he realized that the monkey, (laughs) the monkey actually got the teaching, (laughs) or had the teaching, didn't get the teaching, he had the teaching. And he didn't, but he learned from the monkey. We can try so hard to understand or to make sense of or what's this all about. But until we really enter in, until we really feel and know and experience ourselves and our experience directly, we won't know because we can't understand this. We can't figure this out with our minds. It's a direct entry, a direct experience that we are being invited into So we really, in some ways, we have to jump in and get wet. And a lot of us resist that, right? We resist that. I don't want to get wet. I like it where I am. I like sitting by the side of the shore, (laughs) you know? But then there's something else. There's another pull that we feel that we want want to know. We want to know what does the river of life. What does the river of life have to teach us? What does it have to teach us? So mindfulness, this mindful awareness, when we're not just superficially aware, you know, just kind of knowing that I'm, I'm walking, knowing that I'm, you know, eating, but knowing, knowing that the sun is shining, but I'm actually allowing that to absorb and receive the fullness of that experience all through my body, all through my mind and my heart and my consciousness. Then I'm entering in to the river of life. I'm really, really drinking it in, feeling it, sensing it, living, living this life, entering the stream, We say entering the Dharma stream, entering the uh, uh, Dharma stream, which as Howie was talking about the first night, Dharma is nature, or Dharma is the way things are. Dharma is the truth of things. And so we enter into that Dharma stream, the, the truth of the way things really are. David White, the great poet and writer, calls this the call to inhabit ourselves. 
the call to inhabit ourselves. I really like that because it's a, it's a kind of uh, coming fully into our, our humanity, not leaving anything behind, no part left out, we often say. So when we talk about jumping in, we're actually talking about jumping into the truth of our experience and how it's manifesting at any given moment. And what we find and what we have found on these first couple of days is those moments can be sometimes very joyful, but also can be very painful and very difficult. And there's always degrees of that. And it's different for different people at different times in our, where we are in our lives. There's a, there's sometimes it can be a little bit more on the joyful side and maybe not so much on the real painful side. Sometimes much more on the painful side, maybe not so much on the joyful side. And we move, we kind of move on that continuum between some much more joyful and pleasurable experiences to more difficult and painful experiences. And that's the stream of life, the truth the dharma, (laughs) the way things are. It's not like anything's wrong. I know for so long, I always thought that when my experience moved to the end of the the side of the continuum that was less desirable, um, less comfortable, more unpleasant and painful, I always thought I was doing something wrong. I thought it was somehow my fault. I personalized the whole experience. It was all about me. And what was I doing that was causing this? I was the cause. I, the, the, the sense of me, the sense of I, or the self, is always in the center of, of the universe. It's always about me from that location. And so therefore I'm responsible for everything that happens. And so if I'm feeling some kind of pain or difficulty, it must be my fault, and what am I doing wrong? I remember um, in the be- very beginning of my practice, the reason I remember this is because I remember um, when I went on retreat, the first couple years of retreat, and we would go into small groups like you did on this retreat. You know, you have these small group meetings. And I remember so clearly um, the first time that I heard other people talking personally and intimately about what was actually happening in their experience. And they were actually talking about the same things I was experiencing. And I was so surprised that other people were having similar experiences to me. That other people were also experiencing painful mind states and difficult emotions and having difficulties in their lives. And, 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 and it really started to open up this sense of, oh, this is, this is more of a universal experience. Maybe it's not just so much about me. And maybe it's not my fault. And maybe I'm not doing anything wrong. And then I started hearing the teachings of the Buddha, you know, the, the teachings of the, the, the noble truths, and hearing that the first noble truth, the truth of this existence, is that there is pain in this life. There is pain, dukkha, the dukkha is the word, there is pain in this life. And, 
And it's not because of me. I didn't cause that pain. It's a truth of this existence, a truth of this, of this life. Primarily that there is birth, aging, sickness, and death. And that is dukkha. That's painful. And we lose the things that we love. We can't have the things that we want. And that's painful. That's dukkha. And that is the nature of this life, of this world. And it was so, so profound to start to understand that it wasn't my fault and I wasn't doing something wrong, which then started to allow me to open more, to relax more, because when I would think that it was my fault, then the next thing that would happen was a lot of judgment and uh, self-condemnation and shame, a lot of shame. You know, there's a lot of shame there when we think it's our fault and we're doing it wrong or we've done something wrong. And and that shame can get very compounded. It's so, so painful. And it can be right in the center of that that, uh, belief that somehow it's all about me and I'm responsible for everything. So taking in that teaching, taking in that understanding and hearing, starting to listen that other people are having very similar experiences, that this is universal as our humanity, uh, as our experience of our humanity. And then I can start to let go of that burden a little bit more, that burden that I was carrying for so long, particularly this, for me, it was such a burden of uh, striving for perfectionism in this self-image that I had about how perfect everything needed to be. And you know, for perfection, there's, you can never reach the bar because every time you reach the bar that you set for yourself, there's always another bar, right? And then you have to start reaching for that and then you reach that and then there's another bar, right? It's never enough. You know this. I mean, I'm sure I'm not, again, alone, right? I'm not the only one having this experience. <laughs> You know, how there's that striving for more and more and more, and it's never enough, never enough. That, that sense of dissatisfaction can't get no satisfaction. You know, <laughs> right? Rolling stones, try, try, I try, I try. <laughs> can't get no satisfaction because we can never reach it. There's always the next thing always the next thing. So one of the, one of the things we start to experience, uh, particularly in the first few days of the retreat, James started to mention it this morning, is we, we meet some of these difficult mind states, um, these difficult mind states that are classically listed as the hindrances. It's called the hindrances. Um, it's well documented in the discourses of the Buddha that these, dif- these states of mind are what we encounter when we sit down and we look at our own mind. You know, again, it's not personal. <laughs> you know, this is what happens. Um, the five classical difficult mind states of the, the wanting mind, you know, this wanting, wanting, striving, always wanting more or different kinds of experiences than the one that we're actually happen- have, having. Or the opposite one of that, the not wanting, the resistance or the rejecting mind. I don't want this. I don't want this. Why is this happening? 
I don't like it, you know? And then that the way the body and the mind contract around that experience and want to push it away. And we can almost feel how the whole body energetically just becomes kind of a strong, solid object that just pushes, right? Maybe we get st- if we get tight enough and contracted enough, I'll be able to just push that thing away, <laughs> you know, that thing, that object, whatever it is that we're resisting, right? So we have that mind state too, you know, and then of course the, with the first one, the wanting, if I, if I hold on tight enough, and if I go for it and then get it and hold on tight enough, maybe I can keep it and not let go and it'll be here forever. It's the same kind of tightening and contracting. So those first two are polar opposites, but they're both contracted. They're both, t- we, have to, we have to grasp and tighten to enter into those, both those states of mind. And then the other, the other two are the sleepiness, on the one hand, the dropping of our energy, and the other is the restlessness and worry, which is the uh, acceleration of the energy, the increase of the energy, and they play together too. And then the last one is the doubt or the self-doubt where we just start, because things can feel so difficult or confusing, we just start to doubt whether, whether I can do this or whether this is my path or is this really for me or, you know, I don't even think I should be here or maybe I should, uh, maybe I should go Sufi dancing or, you know, it's just, you know, where we really start to question and doubt uh, in a way that maybe isn't so necessarily helpful. Classically, the, the um, Pali word, the, 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 the teachings of the Buddha were laid down in this uh, particular uh, script called Pali. And um, the word uh, is, uh, for, for, that was translated as hindrances is Nivarana, Nivarana. And sometimes it's good to go to the actual Pali because the, the English tra- uh, translations usually take hold, but they're not so accurate. So to understand these hindrances in a way that brings us some wisdom, I think to understand the translation of the word Nivarana, which means, uh, which is translated as to cover over to cover over. And I really like that because when I ponder that, it makes me wonder, well, what, what is getting covered over, right? It's not necessarily a hindrance in itself. It just means that something through the intensity and the hold of these particular states of mind, when we start to feel a bit flooded or overwhelmed by these states of mind, what gets covered over is our awareness, our mindful awareness, and our wisdom, our capacity to be able to respond and work with these mind states. So, so we want to uncover, we want to uncover that which is overwhelming the mind, overwhelming the consciousness, to then bring back, to allow the awareness and the wisdom to shine, to be illuminated, to come through. It's not that that is gone. It's not that our awareness and our wisdom is gone. It just means it's covered over through the patterning of the mind state, 
which then feels difficult because we've lost contact. We've lost our essential ground. We've lost our, our, our earth, our base, our home base. And when we lose connection with our awareness, with our ground, with our essential knowing, with our essential being, we feel the pain of that. We feel cut off. We feel kind of lost and untethered because we want to come back home. We want to be home. So fortunately, fortunately, there's enough of a drive that seems to move through human beings to want to reconnect with that which is, we might say, larger than ourselves or bigger than this small sense of who I am. There's some kind of pull, it seems. There's some kind of drive to know that, to be in connection with that. And it's, it's, it, it, it's inherent, it's natural that we move towards that. So, so we have this, this interest, for the most part, to uncover that which seems to hinder us or to block us or to keep us stuck. Now, of course, the Buddha says that we, don't, we, we often do that in ways that aren't so helpful for ourselves. We, you know, maybe go towards maybe more pleasurable experiences or we try to resist the things that we think are in our way. That's not actually going to help so much. What we actually need to do and what we are doing here is cultivating more of this stability and continuity in our mindful awareness so that we have greater access to our natural state, to our natural being. This is what's going to bring us more happiness and healing and greater ease and well-being in our lives. So, so we continue to cultivate this uh, awareness, this wisdom, this uh, kindness, all these qualities that help us stay home, to help us stay connected, stay present, stay engaged with what's actually happening now. So with these uh, difficult mind states, when we're not completely overwhelmed by them, we want to see, can we bring some quality of awareness, some knowing of what's happening so we can begin to work with ways that we might be resisting, judging, pushing away, or grabbing on to more pleasurable experiences or expectations about what we'd rather have, be ha- have happen. So when we start to see that more clearly, how the resistance and the wanting and the grasping actually arises in our mind, we can begin to release that because we understand that when we do that, it just causes more pain and more suffering. So we want to keep bringing as much awareness, as much uh, understanding and wisdom as we can to whatever is occurring in our experience, even in these difficult mind states. Another way we might say it is that we're trying to change our, our view. We're trying to change our perspective. Uh, this wonderful quote from Marcel Proust, um, who's a French novelist, who said, The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. 
not in seeking new landscapes, new, new experiences, new territories, but in having new eyes. And interestingly, um, uh, Ralph Wald- Waldo Emerson said something very similar. And I don't think they were... I don't think they were talking together, I'm not sure, but he said, um, Emerson said, what is life but the angle of vision? What is life but the angle of vision? So what they're pointing to is that it's not so much about changing our experiences or having new experiences or different experiences, which is the tendency of the mind to want to seek out these different kinds of experiences. But perhaps it's really shifting the location from from the the way that we're viewing our experience, the way that we're seeing our experience. Another way that we say it sometimes is that to change our relationship to what's actually happening. And to change our relationship means to be able to see and know what's happening with awareness, with wisdom, with wisdom and with kindness. That's what brings us a fresh way of viewing, a fresh way of seeing what's happening. We might say, and one, one way that I've been reflecting on this recently, is that we're actually changing our perspective from a self-centered view with a sense of me is in the center and it's all about me and how I'm responsible for everything to a dharma-centered view or an awareness-centered view. So when it's a dharma-centered view, then I'm seeing from the perspective of the dharma. I'm seeing the way things really are. I'm seeing with awareness, with wisdom, with clarity, which then brings forth the qualities of the heart, of, of care and affection and tenderness and respect and patience and morality and truthfulness. All these very beautiful qualities are ushered in with the awareness, with the wisdom. That's the shift from the Dharma, the Dharma-centered perspective. As I'm sitting more in the Dharma centered perspective, then I can experience things more as a flow because they're not, things aren't even so solid. There isn't so much of a solid me sitting here that's in a contention with everything out there. But I'm seeing things from a larger whole, the flow, the pattern, the change, the impermanence, um, the, 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 the selflessness, or sometimes we say the emptiness, it's not so solid, not so substantial. I can feel and sense the stream of that changing experience moment to moment, and I don't feel as stuck. I don't feel as blocked. I don't feel so solid, like it's me having this difficult experience. But I'm sleepy. Yeah, I'm sleepy. I can name that. I can know that. And I know that it's going to change. And I can bring some wisdom to knowing that I'm probably so sleepy or tired because I've just come from a very busy week. I've been engaging with lots of people. And lots of I've been very busy in my work. And then I come here and I stop. And I'm feeling all of that <laughs> moving through me. And I'm, very, and I'm very exhausted. 
And it's so interesting how sometimes when, I, when people talk about being tired in the group or an interview, and then I say, well, how was your week last week? And then they tell me <laughs> what they were engaged in, and somehow there's some expectation that they're going to come and, on the first day of a retreat, sit down, and not, f- not feel the impact of any of that. Somehow have a clear mind, a clear heart, you know, just be able to follow the breath, stay one-pointed and focused, and it doesn't make sense. It's just not logical. Nature, nature doesn't work like that. You know, the body and the mind have to, f- have to f- re- uh, re-regulate, has to find its regulation again. Because we're, we're impacted by everything Everything we come into contact with makes an impression. That's how we get formed from the first breath we take as a baby, even before when we're still in the womb. And who knows how far those impressions go back. There's lots of theories about that. (laughs) What we come in with uh, when we're born from previous lifetimes but we're coming in with all these impressions. Let's say it's even if it's just in the womb, in the relation to the mother and the mother's environment, and then we come in and everything that we make contact with impresses on our mind and our body and our consciousness. And it starts to shape us and form us into the being that is actually sitting here right now. And that doesn't stop. It doesn't stop just because we have more awareness and more wisdom. And it's not like we're now protected from the impressions of the world. (laughs) It's all still, we're like, we're just like these fragile little organisms. You know, we're we're so tender, aren't we? I mean, we really admit it (laughs) to ourselves. I mean, we're so fragile and tender and impressionable and we get hurt and, you know, we're sensitive and that's the way we are. And so as, our, as humans, we want to, how do we really navigate our humanity both for ourselves and in the world as these sensitive beings that we are, these fragile beings, all beings, all of life, all Creatures are sensitive and fragile to life and death, right? This is, might sound like a silly thing, but I have, every now and then I have ants in my kitchen. And I am so, it's like they become my friends in a way, I have to say, they, you know. And I'm so sensitive to any ant getting harmed and I see sometimes, and so I, I work out ways that they're not in my, my, path, my kitchen path. I kind of move them out so they're kind of by the windowsill or something. Or, and I make sure I put everything away that they might go after and to kind of, you know, make them go find something else, you know. But I see them sometimes, you know, kind of lifting up on their back legs, you know, and they're kind of little ants, you know, smelling and sensing and looking for, you know, where they can go next. And they're little beings, these these like little beautiful little creatures. And and so when I see one that, you know, little corpse, you know, I see lots of little ant corpses, I feel that. And, you know, it, it may sound so, so silly, but I feel them and I sense them as little living beings that too have a life 
and are subject to death, just as we all are and all living beings are. And when I, when I, and I, I, I can't say that like I'm, you know, have all this gushing compassion, you know, it's not, it's not like that, you know, it feels, <laughs> it feels more like, like just the Dharma. It's the Dharma, it's the truth. It's just knowing the way things are, that these little beings too want to live. They are sensitive, they don't want to be crushed. None of us do, no living being does. And so it's the wisdom, it just feels like awareness and wisdom meeting life as it is. So, so we, we start to, to as we, we take that seat, as we're more centered in the Dharma, we start to see things, we open and we see things the way they truly are. You know, we see ourselves as we truly are. And that we're not so separate, we're not so isolated, we're not so alienated, that we are actually much more connected and, and, and uh, live in a unified field much more than we actually know. And we start to, as we become more connected and more aware and sit more fully in the seat of our direct experience, this is the kind of thing that begins to awaken for us we see that there's actually a place for everything. This is um, from Sayadaw Utejaniya, who is a, a Burmese um, monk who has been teaching in our community uh, in the last 10 years, and uh, is bringing some very wonderful perspectives. And he says, um, take an interest in whatever happens, whether good or bad. So whether the mind says this is good or the mind says it's bad. He said, every experience is dharma. Dhamma, dhamma is what we say in Sanskrit. Every experience is dhamma, is just the way it is. Good and bad is your personal judgment. If you have the right view, you will accept anything that happens just as it is. If you have the right view, you will accept anything that happens just as it is. And that's the, that's the ground. We talk about acceptance. It's the ground. It's like it's where, it's where we settle into. But it's not a destination. And I like to make this point because sometimes people think that it's all about just accepting and accepting and not rejecting or resisting. And then we get confused and think, well, then Buddhism is just about allowing and accepting everything just as it is, and we can start to feel quite passive. And then what about all the suffering, all the great suffering in the world that is horrendous right now? Maybe it's more horrendous because we know more about it right now than we ever have in any other time in history. But, but we're not talking about that kind of acceptance. It's acceptance as a ground that then allows us to see with clarity and wisdom how to respond to what we are meeting, what we are coming into contact with, whether it's our own difficult mind states or whether it's the difficulty and the, the pain and the suffering that's happening in the world. How, unless we are, are sitting in a place where we're seeing and, and feeling and sensing with wise view, 
with a clear view of understanding, of awareness, of wisdom, of love, we may not be able to respond very well in a way that isn't going to just necessarily keep reinforcing that pain and suffering within, it, within ourselves or towards others. So acceptance is a way to describe the ground that we, the perch or the, where we're sitting from that Dharma perspective. We start with a radical kind of acceptance and then, which is based in love and wisdom, and then we engage. Then we engage with all experience. It's not a passive kind of um, way of being. So this Dharma-centered view, really starting to have a sense of what that means, what that's like. So when these, these difficult mind states that I described, when they arise, perhaps maybe, how, how, would, that, how would that be experienced from a Dharma-centered view? Right? So I'm sleepy, I'm restless, I'm doubt is arising, I'm feeling grasping in the mind, I'm feeling resistant, resistance in the mind. How would we respond to that from a Dharma-centered perspective? I mean, the very first thing I hope uh, perhaps is coming to your mind is we see it for what it is. <laughs> it's where we start. <laughs> Sleepiness, restlessness, wanting mind, not wanting mind, resistance, rejection. We see it, we know it. That's where we begin, is bringing our mindful attention. That's why the noting, sometimes we use the noting practice where you just make a very soft mental note. You just note what's happening as a way to bring a little bit more sharp clarity to your experience. Oh, wanting mind. Wanting mind is arising. And then we see it for what it is. And then we hopefully can see the way that we might then get pulled into it through more thinking and stories and memories and plans and ideas and just, oh, I'm just getting, it's like we get sucked into that kind of vortex of the, of the thinking mind. And perhaps we can, with, a, with some awareness and some understanding, we say, oh yeah, there it is, I'm getting pulled in. And then we can pull back. And one of the ways we pull back is through the body, to ground through the body, through the earth, body, the physical body, the this, where we are on the earth, we have a body, we have bones, we have muscles, we have feeling, and we can come right back into the present moment. Feel ourselves. This is why the walking meditation can be so useful, because we can just feel our feet on the earth, bring all that attention down and feel the feet on the earth rather than going into the imaginary worlds of our mind that, that, that brings about a sense of the past and a whole sense of the future, which don't exist outside of our own thoughts, and then just grounding right down into this body, immediate experience of now, 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 now. That's one of the ways that we can help ourselves as we come from a more dharma-centered perspective, we see that it's not so helpful to get pulled into those uh, imaginary worlds where we are creating all kinds of scenarios that actually don't have so much to do with reality. This reality, 
reality here and now. So we wanna, we're wanting to understand that. So from a Dharma-centered perspective, we can begin to know and learn and investigate and understand the nature of this mind, the nature of this body, of our emotions, our experience. It all starts to become more uh, understandable. What is this? What does it mean to be human, to be alive, to uh, be engaged in this existence? Take an interest in whatever happens, whether good or bad. Every experience is Dhamma, just the way it is. Every experience is Dhamma. And Thich Nhat Hanh, wonderful Vietnamese Zen master, has this wonderful way. He really con- talks about how this same kind of... Um, n- not, nothing's really separate how we separate things as good and the bad and right and wrong. He says, garbage can smell terrible, especially rotting organic matter, but it can also become rich compost for fertilizing the garden. The fragrant rose and the stinking garbage are two sides of the same existence. Without one, the other cannot be. Everything is in transformation. The rose that wilts after six days will become part of the garbage. After six months, the garbage is transformed into the rose. And yet the mind wants to create all these kind of dichotomies and separations. And then the Dhamma, the Dharma starts to say, no, it's all, all happening interconnected, working together. And we can enter into that uh, process of transformation itself and feel and know and experience what it's like to engage so directly in that transformation of our mind and our heart and our consciousness. And not only the consciousness of ourself, because again, as soon as we take that self-centered view, then everything else gets neglected. But when we think about the transformation of consciousness, not just our own, but the consciousness of this world, which is what needs to happen, and I'm not the first one to say this, This world is (laughs) waiting for a massive transformation or we're not going to be here very much longer, right? So so this, this wonderful way that we're entering in together, this noble path, this noble path that we're walking together to transform not only our own consciousness but how that will then impact everything else that's occurring and transform this consciousness of this world. This is really the power of what we're doing. So we're turning the mind, turning the mind from this self-centered perspective to more of this Dhamma perspective, this turning One of the ways that we support this turning is through the body, really grounding through the body. When we notice that the mind is going out in all these imaginary scenarios, 
to come back more fully into the ground of our being through the body. The other way that really supports this turning is through the cultivation of loving kindness. And we began this uh, introduction of the loving kindness this afternoon. I hope that you were able to come because it's a really important and potent practice. Because as we walk along this path, as we go along this journey, we need to bring kindness along. Because as my, one of my great um, favorite poets, Naomi Shihab Nye, is a, a, a Palestinian um, poet. Um, she says, uh, in one of her, the last stanza of her poem called Kindness, she says, then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. That's what we see from this Dharma-centered perspective. It's only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you, it is I you have been looking for. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. It's only kindness that makes sense anymore. So we bring the kindness along as much as we possibly can. We practice this like a mother holding her only child. Every experience, every thought, every sensation, every emotion, every sound, every, every experience that arises can we bring kindness. There was a woman in uh, one of the interview groups who reminded us that one of her practices was to say the phrase, um, may I hold this too with kindness. May I hold this too with kindness. And that's something we can say all through the day, all through the day. May I hold this too with kindness. And then we see what happens. We see if that can help bring about a bit more softening, a little bit more release, less holding on to this self-centered sense of what I want and what I don't want and what I think is right or wrong or good or bad. Does that help? Just to release a little bit more. May I hold this too with kindness. Whatever arises in our experience. And it's not easy, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to let go and to release these old patterns. Because as we do, we actually become more exposed and we become more vulnerable. And we've seen this in the small groups. You know, that people are saying, wow, it's amazing how honest people are being, you know, people are crying and talking about difficult things and really exposing themselves in such a genuine and heartful way. You know, we do. We start to become more open, more exposed. But at the same time, as we do that, we start to feel more authentic and more real to ourselves 
to others, to the world. And this is a good feeling. I think this is something that we all truly want. We're all truly um, praying for in a certain way. And we do this just moment by moment, breath by breath, just this moment. We don't have to worry about the last moments and we don't have to worry about what's going to happen in the future. We just need to take care of this moment. And as my old teacher used to say, if we take care of this moment, then the next moment will take care of itself. Take care of this moment, the next moment will then be taken care of because we are taking care of it. So moment by moment, breath by breath. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. May all beings awaken in awareness. May all beings awaken in wisdom. May all beings be free. Thank you for your attention. Now you have some time to walk in the cool night hour. We have about a half an hour, and uh, we'll come back for our last sitting at 9 o'clock. God bless you. (laughs) There's going to be some chanting as well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.